Welcome to Grow With Soul, a simple marketing podcast by me, Kate Ferris, a creative business and marketing coach living in the mountains in North Wales. Grow With Soul is for creatives who either have their own business or who dream of having their own business and who want to grow slowly, sustainably and soulfully in their work and in their life. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to episode 67 of Grow With Soul. Today is a solo episode that follows on from episode 63 last month because I'm answering the second half of the questions that you guys submitted on Instagram. So these questions today are all about content and about strategy. So we've got some stuff on planning content on Instagram, business growth and transition, finding your values, dream clients and many more. So without further ado, let's get going. So question one is how to write a content plan. As with anything, we need to make sure we're answering the right question. So rather than thinking, I need to write a content plan, so how do I do it? We need to start with what we want a content plan for. So you need to think about why you want a content plan, what you want it to do for you and your business, and then create one that fits those goals rather than just create an arbitrary content plan. So trust me when I say I've used lots of different templates over the years and the only one that I've stuck to is the one that I made myself based on what I needed. So you may want a content plan to help you through a specific launch or a really busy period. You may want one to help you post more consistently. You might want a structure to help you organise all your ideas. So each of these problems will have a slightly different content plan. So your first job is to get clear on what your content plan needs to do for you. So the job of my content plan is to help me post consistently. So I plot out ideas for posts in advance so I don't have to come up with something on the hoof whenever I realise, oh God, I've got to publish something. So my plan is split into a table. Each row represents a week and each column a channel. So I have blog, podcast, Instagram grid and Instagram stories. That means that I can see what is going out across each channel each week, how they all fit together and what I need to make sure I've got done ready in time for it to go out. You can get quite complicated with plans if you need to. Certainly if you Google it, you get some quite complex templates coming up, but that's because they're generally designed for content teams where they're putting out tons and tons of content It's created by lots of different people. So really the plan in those templates is more of a people management tool as much as anything else. At the root of a content plan, you need to know what is going out, where it's going and when. That's really the foundation stone. So this idea about productivity tips is going to go on the blog and it's going to go there on Wednesday the 11th. You can then layer on anything you need to help you on top of that. So perhaps you want to give yourself a different deadline to create it because you need that for your time management. Maybe you want to colour code the topics or something. What I'm really trying to get at here is there is no right way to create a content plan. You need to work out what you need to feel confident and consistent with your content and then just experiment with the ways to get there. Okay, next question 
is I'm struggling to organize and categorize content on my blog. Any tips? So the first thing I say is don't overcomplicate it. (laughs) We all have a tendency to feel like categorization and things like that has to be really clever and granular. But the point of it is to make content easy to find and something really overcomplicated that gets people to make choices on a sub menu doesn't really achieve that aim. For my blog, I have three broad thematic categories that my content fits into, which is simple living for sort of life, balance kind of stuff, simple marketing for marketing and simple working for things like productivity, goal setting, that kind of stuff. So if anyone wants to dive into any of those broad topics, they can browse the archives for each. So what I'd also think about is how you can use categories to help you direct people around. So while on my blog, you can only see the three thematic categories. I've got other categories that only I can see, which means I can link to specific content. So for example, my blog content is also categorized as suitable for people starting out, people in the middle or people who've been doing it for years. So that means that I can link directly to all the beginner type content if I want to promote something like Basecamp. And similarly, if I'm promoting my content course Campfire, I've got a category with all my content marketing posts that I can then link people to. So like I said, these are behind the scenes categories that help me make the most of my archive rather than being public ones. Other than that, I think internal linking is really your main friend here. So making sure that you're linking to other relevant blog posts in the body of the one that you're on. So that's going to help readers find relevant content more naturally than having a load of different categories. So think about your own behaviour with this. When you land on a blog post, you tend to click on the hyperlinked bits that go to other posts that sound interesting rather than, you know, dig into the categories so much. So ultimately, keep it simple and remember the main point of categories is to make it easier for people to find what they're interested in. You may like to ask a friend or somebody to dummy run it for you to see if your categories achieve that aim and are helpful to them. Okay, next question is how to start incorporating SEO into blog posts in a non-icky way. So I'm not an SEO expert and I've never really been much of a search marketer. And actually, I don't consider SEO in my blog posts at all because I don't need them to do that job for me. I'm not trying to catch people on searches because I really need to have people engaged with my work in order to get it before they will kind of subscribe to my email list and eventually buy something. So I know I've never hired someone to work in my business because I found them on Google. They've all been people who I've been connected with elsewhere. And I also know that all people who have hired me didn't find me on Google. They found me on Instagram or via the podcast or a friend recommended them. So I say this because SEO is one of those things that I think people think that I have to do it. You know, it's not an option. I have to have SEO even though I don't really understand it and I don't really want to do it. So remember, you get to define your strategy and you know, SEO doesn't fit into mine. And so I don't do it. So if SEO is something you worry about, I would question whether it belongs in your strategy too. 
That being said, what I do know is that if it works for humans, it works for Google. So trying to shove in keywords doesn't work anyway, which is what I assume the question asker meant by icky. So if you want to SEO your post, you have to really start with what the person is searching for and what they want to find for that search. So if someone's searching for how to create a content plan, the ideal post will probably be a step-by-step guide with examples. You can't create the post and then shoehorn in what you want it to show up for because that's not going to serve that searcher. So really start with the individual person, the person that you want to be finding this, the person making the search and what they're looking for and create your content accordingly. Okay, and so then I got two questions which were very similar, so I'll ask them together. So what steps did you take to grow your following on Instagram? I've just started. And then how do I build my Instagram from zero? Now, here's the thing. Instagram changes. And so what works changes. What worked for me three or four years ago won't be the same now. So back then I posted every single day for about two years, um, spending at least an hour engaging with other accounts every day too. So I do think that frequent posting and engagement does still work, but the growth trajectory isn't as steep. So when I was doing this, you couldn't reply to comments on your own posts. So the only way to acknowledge a reply was to go onto the other person's account where you might see that it's nice and you decide to follow. You don't have to do that now. Also, this was before Stories was introduced, which now takes over a lot of eyeballs in the app. So I know I spend far more time watching the stories of people I already follow than I do seeking and seeing new accounts. So although I had fairly rapid Instagram growth a few years ago, it has really, really stagnated over the last year. I think I've probably grown by less than a thousand in the last year, year and a half. I know it's the most annoying thing to hear when you're stuck on a couple of hundred followers, but I really do wish that I'd focused less on Instagram growth. I reach a tiny proportion of my follower number now and my email list is only about a tenth of that number. And as I always say, the follower number is completely meaningless unless they are engaging, viewing or buying. So for me, if you want to get a true idea of what the followers who are doing something cut off two thirds of my follower number because they don't engage with my business at all. So really for me, a focus is on depth, on deepening connections with those already there rather than growth. So more now than ever, connection is important. People aren't finding people in the app anymore, not really. So think about how you find new people to follow and, you know, new podcasts, new email lists, new businesses. It's generally because someone recommends them. You see an account get shared, your friend recommends someone's work. People who are growing grow through shares. I mean, look at Mrs. Hinch. That's how she grew was word of mouth. And the shares happen because you're creating valuable, different, unique content and connecting with people. Okay, so now moving into the strategy portion of the podcast. So the first one is how do you balance between growing a business for it to be sustainable versus growing slow and at the pace you're comfortable with? So what I would argue here is that you're, if you're not growing at a pace you're comfortable with, you're not growing it in a way that's sustainable. 
So you might hit some financial goals quicker, but if you're burnt out or you get sick and or you've got no life and you just resent the business for it, then that's not sustainable. I know this because I did this. I pushed and pushed and pushed to do the things that would bring in the most money so that I could prove in inverted commas that the business was viable. And then I spent the next 18 months hanging on by a thread in terms of my stress levels and my mental health. And I hated the life that I'd worked myself into. And really, I'm still unraveling it all now. So the biggest thing that I've learned through all of this is that you have to grow the business in tune with the life that you want to live and to live it alongside the growth. So that means instead of thinking when I earn X amount, I'll have a great life and do all these things. It's thinking, how do I want to feel every day and make that happen from today? Ensuring that every little thing you do towards your business works towards that vision of what you want your life to look like. Okay, next question, how do you really unlock your core values? I'm trying to clarify mine to build my business on. So I'm afraid this isn't something that you'll be able to do in an afternoon. (laughs) Um, It's an unraveling that deepens and develops over time. So I'm still understanding mine and, and reaching kind of new levels. So I don't think it's a process that's ever truly over. In the show notes, I will link to my purpose kit, which is a big workbook and video with lots of exercises and reflections to help you start the unraveling process and put what you find into practice. But a couple of things you can do is to think about why you wanted to start this business in the first place. Why this thing in this way? This decision will have been driven by your values. Think also about the businesses that you're repelled by, the sorts of things that you just really hate and that really winds you up. So what is it about them that riles you and and what does that say about your values? Another exercise that I do with clients is to spend time with a big piece of paper, writing down every word or phrase or feeling that you feel about your business and that you want your business to represent. If you then go through them all and kind of group them up thematically, this tends to give you a steer on sort of four or five values. I also will say if you're starting out, don't wait until you've got the perfect hold on all your values before you start to take things to the next level because you'll be waiting your whole life. So get yourself to a point where you've got something really tangible that you understand and can work with and then let those values mature with you and your work over the years. Right, next question. I'd love your advice on pivoting a business. I'm shifting from product to service. First of all, it's not going to happen quickly or as cleanly as you want. This is something that I'm learning for myself at the moment. So change is messy. So come into this with an acceptance that you're going to have to just wade around in it for a while. The hardest part of transitioning a business is getting people to change what they know you for. We all like to put people in niche boxes and kind of hate it when they try to get out of them. So doing a campaign just to start changing people's expectations and perceptions of you is a good place to start. This might look like starting to change your content, talking about the whys behind the transition, sharing parts of your story that are relevant to your new direction, creating freebies that demonstrate and model your new services, doing 
challenges or an advice series on Instagram so people can start testing what you say and see that you know what you're talking about. You may also want to try pitching for some podcasts or, you know, guest posts or magazines or things like that to create social proof and establish recognition of your knowledge and expertise in this new area. Behind the scenes, give yourself a pipeline so you can start to plan your time and plan your finances. Give yourself a few months grace where you can just focus on that kind of mind-changing campaign and then start to set goals for when you want to book first clients, how many clients you will need to be able to close the product side, perhaps planning a course or download that can supplement your income if you need it to. Okay, next question, how would you recommend approaching a minor rebrand? So really know what you want out of it, have a really clear purpose for the project. With branding and design, it's so easy to get distracted by how fun it is and all the pretty things. So make sure that you've got a really clear goal that you can use as a benchmark to stop yourself getting carried away and make sure that the rebrand does what you want it to. So that might be better represent my new environment after a big move differentiate my products from my services, update typography and logo elements that are looking tired. So make sure that you've got something really specific like that so that you can make sure that you just stay really focused, especially as it's a minor rebrand. If it's just a small element, make sure that it's keeping really focused. Okay, so the next question, how do I increase my pricing big time? I'm talking doubling because my services are heavily undercharged but how do I do this without annoying or losing customers? So I really empathise with you. Um, I tend to raise my prices really slowly over time. So to realise that you need to do it in a big whack must feel scary. So I think you should first of all update them on your website and make sure that any new customers are paying the higher prices as they likely didn't know what they were before anyway. So you're not going to upset them. The tricky bit, as you've identified, is with existing customers. So as a rule, I always think honesty is just the best policy and try to work with people to come to a solution that everyone feels happy and comfortable with. So we want to avoid people feeling pushed into a corner or being slapped with this unexpected bill. So if it was me, I would explain that perhaps... I've been working at a reduced rate while I set up, but I've reached a point where now I can't continue to be in business at my current rates. So I need to be putting up my prices So demonstrate the value that you've provided. And if it's relevant, you might also want to kind of break down what you do, either on a kind of little project basis or on an hourly basis so they can see that oh yeah I've been paying her less than minimum wage or I've been paying a really tiny amount for all these little areas so that they kind of feel better about that this isn't just a you're doing this with some thought behind it rather than just sticking your prices up for no reason. And then what I do is you can introduce perhaps a sliding scale so that their invoices start to increase over time rather than overnight. So perhaps something like if you bill them monthly then over three months they get 20% added each time so that after a couple of months they're up at the new rates. So depending on how many clients you have as well you may be able to work with each one individually. If you've got kind of three people then you can probably work out a payment plan for each of them that works but if you've got more than that would is manageable for then choosing a blanket scale for everyone. So that's for 
client-based stuff, but if you have a product business and you want to be starting to put your prices up and you're worried about kind of loyal customers, think about offering them a time-limited discount code where they can kind of warm up to the new prices and just make them feel valued as customers, even though you're trying to put the prices up. Okay, next question is how do you deal with dream clients that you love to work with, but they don't have the money to afford your service? So I hate to say it, but if your dream client can't pay for your services, then they're not a dream client. So I get that they might be people whose businesses that you really love, but if they're not paying you, they're just, they're not a dream. So when thinking about dream clients and ideal audiences, yes, it's about value alignment and enjoying the work, but also about the logistics flowing smoothly and getting paid on time and everyone feeling really good about every part of the process. It's not you kind of having to chase for a payment that it's gut-wrenching for them to make. That's that's not dreamy, right? So you have a decision. Do you change what you do in order for it to be affordable for these types of clients? Or do you change your dream client? So I'd spend a little bit of time thinking about and researching these options. So if you change your services, perhaps from like one-to-one to a course, does that still align with your vision and what you want your life to be like and how you want to spend your days? If you look at the reality of working with a different type of client, does that feel like a compromise too far? If you're just starting out, I'd recommend picking one or the other for now, as you don't want a confused message to come to market with, but obviously you can always add the other thing in later. But if you're already pretty established in your business, it might be possible to do both. So to have maybe a self-led offering for those beginners and then pitch your services at a more advanced audience so that there's a flow that people can go through through your business. Okay, next question. I'm a coach with two very different niche audiences, having relied on word of mouth for a few years. I'm now building out a proper website, but it serves only one niche. Do I really need two of everything, a website, blog, strategy, etc.? Each niche has its own set of problems, but my skills are the same. So I always try to advise that people bring their services and customers under one roof. Exactly because, as you say, once you start to duplicate websites and Instagram accounts and everything, you are just duplicating work and you'll end up doing nothing but just trying to keep all the accounts going. (laughs) So the only time that I would recommend splitting them out is if one audience would repel or be repelled by the other. So, you know, say you did a lot of work with like junk food companies or like burger vans, that would probably repel wellness businesses (laughs) like because they would think that you didn't understand them and that kind of thing so that's what I think about is whether one or the other will repel otherwise they can fit together much more easily than you probably think so assuming it's not the case that they repel each other you may need to just think a little more about the website structure so making sure that there are clear signposts so that people can go to the content that's for them rather than stumble across to the wrong sales page So that can be as simple as click here if you're just starting out or click here if you're feeling X, Y, Z. So as long as there are clear signposts, people will find what they need because that's what they're really tuned into. And then in terms of the blog, you can trust people to self-select. 
They can scroll past a blog post that's not for them as long as the kind of second or third resonates. So going back to the content plan, one of the tasks and purposes of your content plan will be making sure you've got a good balance of content for everybody so that at whatever point they're coming to the site, there's always something that they're finding for them. Okay, and the final question is, how do I bring more of me into my business? I want to share more of my teacher day job. So I really believe that this is harder than we think it should be. And that's because we find it hard to see the value and inspiration in our daily life because it's just our normality. I always think, you know, oh, no one's gonna, no one's gonna wanna see that. That's just really boring. And when I watch the exact same thing on someone else's stories. So being a little bit more objective is a good habit to get into. Again, here I want to start with why do you want to bring more of yourself into your business? Is it because you want to connect with people on a more personal level? Is it because your day job will help demonstrate some of your expertise? Is it something else? So once you start with a goal or an aim, you can start to generate ideas more easily. So if it is that your day job helps to provide context for what you do in your business, then you can start to think about how you can show that, what people will be interested to see, the examples that most closely fit, the things that you can show that will give people an aha moment. If you want to be deepening your personal connection with people, then bringing them into your home and daily routine can do that. Using examples from your own life and work in your content, sharing your goals and your struggles. So start with what you want to achieve by doing this and the people that you want to engage by doing it and you'll find the ideas start to come more easily than with just the general question. So remember, if you are feeling at a bit of a crossroads with your business growth and strategy and you'd like a framework to help you choose your next path, my new programme Immersion starts in a couple of weeks, which will help you work out what you want, how to get it and make a plan to follow that road. So I'll pop the link in the show notes for more information. And as always, any other resources I mentioned will be in the show notes at simpleunseason.com forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Instagram at simpleunseason. And that's in my stories is where I always ask for questions for these Q&A episodes. So if you'd like to ask a question, make sure you're tuned into those. If you have a friend who you think would really enjoy this episode, please do send them the link and share where you're listening online too. And until next time, I hope you grow with soul.